On today's show, we have Maddie, or as you might know him from his online personality, DCL Blogger. On this episode, we are going to discuss details on how to buy NFTs, how to find the best communities, and all the recent hype. He has been featured on Gary Vee, CBC Radio, Coindesk, and Reuters. He also hosts his own YouTube channel where you can learn all the secrets to NFTs. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Maddie. Thanks for coming on today. Let's jump right into what were you investing into prior to NFTs? Yeah, hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. I was uh, investing in cryptocurrencies. So in 2017, when I entered, I, there was nothing got to do with NFTs. It was all just cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Neo. I didn't know what they did. I just thought that they'd be great investments because obviously quite volatile. Um, and yeah, started there in 2017, but in 2018, started to get exposure to NFTs. And NFTs, when you first started getting exposure, was that through real estate or what type of assets did you first stumble yeah. upon and how did you stumble upon them? <laughs> yeah, I could definitely tell you the, the story. So basically in 2017 in the crypto crypto world, I think many people know what happened, but basically the, the industry went up and then came crashing down late 2017 and early 2018. So I kind of rode the wave up and then back down. Honestly, was not a very savvy investor back then. I was quite new to investing. Probably had just lost, I think I just lost like 60K in, in stock. So I was just, you know, I was just basically throwing money everywhere. Uh, but in 2018, uh, when the industry was going down, I came across a project called Decentraland. And I was just hunting around for different projects. And it looked like a virtual world that you can go in and somehow you can buy virtual land on blockchain. I didn't even know they were called NFTs. I didn't really know the terminology for them. I just knew that you could buy virtual land as a plot or a pixel of land on blockchain somehow. So I entered the Discord and I suddenly found many, like hundreds of people, you know, buying and selling land and saying, you know, I'm selling my land. I have 10 lands. I'd like to sell it for 2,000 mana each. I want to buy it for this much. And there was a marketplace. I mean, it was quite, uh, it, was, it wasn't anything formal. There wasn't a website where you could buy and sell stuff. It was just a Discord chat and a marketplace where people were buying and selling thousands of dollars worth of land, or tens of thousands of dollars worth of land um, right in front of my eyes. So that kind of blew me away. And I was like, all right, I, I got to get into this. So I purchased a couple of pieces of land for, I think, 2,000 mana tokens. So a mana token currently sits at about a uh, dollar. Back then it was 10 cents. So it was a couple hundred dollars. Um, I bought two lands for a couple hundred dollars each. And then within a couple of days, I got an offer to sell them for uh, 4,000 mana each. And to me, it was an eye opener. It was like, wait a second, I can actually flip virtual land <laughs> and uh, get cryptocurrency, which means I don't have to put more money in and I can kind of increase my portfolio this way. So it was just like a mind blowing moment. And I spent the next two years heavily involved, obsessively trading virtual land from portfolio sizes of tens of thousands to 50,000 to hundreds of thousands to some, at some point millions. And it was just crazy what was going down. And then the industry started to go in different directions. There was art and collectibles and gaming. And then what I learned was virtual land was an NFT and the NFT token could be used for many, many things. And then art kind of blew up and took over everything. But uh, NFTs are quite versatile, as you know, and that was my start to, to the space. So I have a lot of people that are probably listening that uh, are real estate investors or hold some type of real estate because, you know, that's a big thing, especially here in the US. Every, you know, more millionaires are made out of real estate than anything, supposedly Absolutely. in the past. <laughs> 90% apparently. Yeah. So, you know, some of them I've been trying to explain a little bit of this virtual world and maybe the opportunity and kind of how it may be similar into, uh, you know, location, location, or how there might be uh, corporations that could advertise on certain plots. Can you maybe explain mm -hmm. a, a little bit more details what the opportunity of owning real estate in the virtual world is going to, it looks like now maybe where it's going in the future. So back when I started, I think we were all figuring it out because this was a virtual space, you know, what matters here? Does location matter? Does it matter to be close to a road? Does it not matter at all? Because you can teleport wherever you want, right? The, the physics are different in a virtual space. But uh, as you come to know what does matter is location, there are similarities. So if you have a land that's close to a road or touching a road uh, in a virtual space, that's basically just an open space that people can go up and down. And that way you, you're guaranteed visibility. 
Um, if you have a land that's not close to a road, then maybe people won't walk in your direction. So there's not many eyeballs there. Um, so, you know, those sort of factors. And then the closer you are to the central part, if you're directly connected to the center city, then it's much more expensive than, say, the land that's not directly connected. Um, if Atari decides to launch right next to you, then suddenly, boom, right, you've got a you've got a land that has gone up in value. Um, so, do you, you know, you try and buy next to places like Atari or, or maybe Binance or something that uh, actively bring in a user base because that has some sort of a value. Uh, neighborhoods are starting to have value. So, for example, I um, had about 300 lands that I chopped up in different cubes and I sold them to uh, art gallery enthusiasts that came in and bought art galleries all right next to each other. And, and we called it the 100X district, which was our own art district and we built our own art galleries and people were just dying to be right next to each other when I started that thing because suddenly there was a small locality all with the same mindset I wanted to do the same thing so we were like wait a second if everyone brings their art the, the you know collective traffic there then we will all benefit from this so there's those sort of opportunities it's it's a wild world uh, there definitely is a lot of speculation because you know this is a new industry we don't exactly know how it's going to work but there are similar mechanics to the real world which I'm not too familiar with I have to be honest I don't um, invest in anything um, I don't invest in real uh, real real estate um, it's all virtual for me but it seems like it's quite similar I mean and kind of one of the questions I always get from everybody is how do we know which ones are going to do well or which one's going to attract and also retain users over a long period of time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really deep question. I think to understand that, you have to understand the economy and what why people would stick around on a certain project and why would they, what stops them from jumping into another one and you know setting up a shop there and investing there. And it depends from uh, project to project. So for example, in the case of Decentraland, which is a virtual world where you can own plots of land that are 16 by 16 meters in the virtual world. You can build whatever you want. In in that case, uh, you know, Decentraland have a token called MANA, MANA token. And uh, every year there's 22 million MANA tokens that are available for the community to use, to build whatever they want, right? Uh, if you do the math, 22 million MANA token is 22 million USD that we have to apply to. And we can say, hey, you guys, you know, we're building a gallery on our land. We'd love to get funded, you know, a few thousand dollars. And the community can vote whether or not that proposal gets funded. And so that incentivizes people to stick around because not only can they build stuff, but they can, you know, implement all sorts of things. They can say, hey guys, we want to build uh, a virtual reality client for Decentraland. We would need $50,000. So there's a community that gathers around all funded by Decentraland because their economy and the token is quite strong. And you compare that with a brand new one that's that's got a grand plan, but it hasn't launched yet. It'll probably take two years to launch. Uh, even if it does, it's different. Uh, in the case of Decentraland, it's all decentralized in the sense of there's multiple servers that keep the world alive. Decentraland themselves can't turn the switch off. So there's different reasons, right? The centralized virtual spaces, there's decentralized. The sandbox is a similar one, but you have lands that are closed instances. So they're not, you can't just walk from one land to the other land. It's kind of like Fortnite games where there's closed instances within each land. What happens within that land can't be seen on other lands. So they, the way they work is a little bit different. But what usually keeps people on a certain land is one, they've invested, two, they're part of the community and they have been part of the community for years. So they're quite invested um, to keep growing it. So they become, in the NFT world, uh, when it comes to projects and you're an investor in that project, whether you, whether you have land or a digital pet or the tokens, you become part of the, the overall team along with the founders and the community. So just, that's usually what people stick around with. Just like real estate. I mean, I guess if you're growing up in one neighborhood or one area where you build a community, you kind of stick to that. Well, some people move away and some people stick to that. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, uh, you know, 
Tell us at the basics what NFTs are and what are the different types that are available in the marketplace? Uh, NFTs. Okay, let me try and explain this. But basically, uh, you got uh, fungible tokens. NFT stands for non-fungible tokens. We'll talk about fungible tokens first. Fungible tokens are basically a very technical term for cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, XRP, every single cryptocurrency right now are fungible tokens. They're fungible in the sense that if you give me a Bitcoin, I give you another Bitcoin and there's no debate that my Bitcoin uh, is worth more than your Bitcoin, right? Non-fungible tokens are on the other side of the coin where they're, um, they're tokens, but there's only a single issuance of that token and you can give properties to that token. You can say, okay, um, and in the crypto, in the blockchain world, they're referred to as tokens, but they're basically just code, right? It just says Maddie owns 10,000 BTC and that's 10,000 fungible tokens that Maddie owns. Um, you know, it'll say Maddie owns one NFT and that NFT will be an art. It could be an art piece. Basically, the token links to a URL and that URL gets displayed as an art piece. And that's created by an artist or that NFT could be a virtual land in a game where that game, where that token is read within that game to give a property of a virtual land. Or it could be a game item. It could represent a pet. And in another game, that NFT could be an item, the pet that I can use within that game. So an NFT is a non-fungible token that can represent anything. So suddenly it opens the doors to, wait a second, you can start collecting. You can start to it wasn't like, I don't think people had the mindset to introduce collectibles or to introduce art or to introduce gaming. It was, they were all experiments, right? Everything was an experiment. It was like, all right, let's, let's make a virtual land project where you can buy these NFTs as virtual land. Let's put them at $10 each and see who buys. And suddenly people are buying them and selling them for tens of thousands of dollars, right? And the art, you know, Super Rare was made an art platform and they were like, all right, let's make an art platform and see if it works with art. And people are buying them for $10, $20. And suddenly now people are spending millions of dollars with them. So the, the industry as a whole has matured three to four years and the market's kind of taken its own shape because it's its own beast. And now, you know, people are giving value to NFTs being art and games and all that sort of stuff. So it is hard to kind of explain exactly in a nutshell what an NFT is, but basically you can now trade digital assets that are backed by this token that move from my wallet to your wallet in a trustless manner in the sense of, uh, you know, you can look through the blockchain who owns that and where it came from. You can see that it, it did come from the artist's wallet. So it's genuine NFT. It's a genuine art piece from that artist. You can see, you know, it's a genuine virtual land from that game. And that game only accepts that land tokens. So um, it suddenly opened up the trade to communicate and collect and be part of multiple, multiple communities. So what particular assets are you focusing on today? I am experimental. Um, but when I find niches that are big, um, I go quite deep. So for example, uh, art is definitely something which I didn't know about at all. Like I was not an art collector a year ago, had no idea how to even start, uh, but the industry kept doing great volume, right? There are multiple people spending tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of art. I could not ignore the industry. So I kind of watched a video or two. I experimented a little bit, got real lucky and purchased a couple of art pieces for a couple of thousand dollars each, which are now worth half a million dollars each. So art is definitely a big one. Now I understand it quite well. Um, art, uh, virtual land for sure, um, collecting collectibles. So people have this obsession with uh, collecting artifacts um, across the blockchain. So for example, Twitter released 140 NFTs. And the way they released them is they just said, hey, comment under our tweet and we'll DM wherever we feel like DMing and uh, we'll give you an NFT. So now there's 140 Twitter licensed NFTs, the first NFTs that they ever did. And if Twitter goes on to release millions and millions of NFTs, these original 140 will always be the first, right? So they started off and people were trading them for, you know, five to $10,000, which already was quite a lot. Now the cheapest one you can get is $200,000. Crazy, how huh? crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely bonkers, man. And then you got CryptoPunks, which uh, one of the first 10,000 collectible projects set that was released. And now like the cheapest CryptoPunk is I think half a mil and the most expensive one is like 20 mil or something. So collectibles is definitely a big, big industry. If you kind of, again, I don't know collecting, right? That's not my thing. My thing was virtual land. My thing was utility and game items. I understood that 
those industries quite well. But as I got into art and collectibles, now I kind of invest in multiple things, gaming, art, uh, collectibles, virtual land, anything else that comes my way. All right, cool. Well, let's kind of, uh, I guess we'll kind of walk the listeners through the whole entire process and let's go from the beginning. You know, someone that would like to get into the game, where are they mm-hmm. uh, going initially? What sites are they going to, to kind of see what's available mm-hmm. in the marketplace and get involved? Uh, it is, it's kind of like, so on a, on a macro level, you have to view it as a reset of the traditional industries. It's a reset of vintage cars, right? Or people collect uh, baseball cards or Pokemon cards. This whole thing is going digital. So you can imagine how many offshoots of multiple industries that people collect uh, participate in there are. There's going to be thousands of different games and collectibles, all these sort of things. So I think if you're looking around to look at specific games, you might be a bit overwhelmed with the, the multiple games that you have to pick and get into. What I personally did that I would recommend is go to a website called OpenSea.io. You go to the rankings page and you can see all the rankings of every NFT project on Ethereum. And you can see how much volume they're doing. You can categorize it by games. You can categorize it by collecting uh, and art. And then you can dive deep into each one and then look at the recent sales that are happening and then do your research. So for example, I did that with Axie Infinity, which is one of the games I went on to do multiple, uh, really, really well. There's, there's millions of players now across the world that are playing Axie Infinity. And when I got involved, it was two years after they had launched and I kept noticing that these Axies, which are these pets that you can own in the game, went from being worth $500 to $2,000, right? And I was like, oh, there's something going on here. If two years after their launch, they're still going up in value. So I assumed that they would that the player base of that game will go on to be in hopefully the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands, possibly millions. And based on that assumption, I bought about 11 early axes. They're called Mystic Axes. I bought them for a couple of thousand dollars each. Uh, now they hit a million players, I think, a month ago, and they're just ripping it. They're just doing so, so well. And those Mystic Axes are worth about $100,000 each. So it's insane what's possible. And what I've learned from that is you look at the game, you play the game, you understand why it could be addictive. And you know you get a quite a good gut feeling about the game and you play it, you look at the community, you see how they're investing and playing the game, where, where they find value in. Maybe you spend a couple of weekends diving deep and participating in that community. But once it hits you and you feel like investing, I personally go for the very early items, the very rare, scarce, first generation items that if the game blows up and has millions of players one day, well, what's going to become a collector thing? It's always going to be the Genesis set, the first release. So that's my personal way of investing in games. And it's worked uh, quite well so far. Now, OpenSea, that is all the existing NFTs or most a lot of the existing NFTs in the marketplace, correct? OpenSea is a decentralized marketplace where anyone can sell an NFT from any other project or game. Okay. And you know some of these projects, as they come onto the market and they're issuing new NFTs, you know how can investors participate there? So this is where you have to be really deeply involved. I personally think that in the NFT industry, you really have to have an ears to the ground approach. It can't be something where you scheme across like 10 minutes a day or something. Uh, it's my full-time job and I still miss so many things, right? You would go to OpenSea and you can see what's coming up. But if you're part of the Twitter, if you're part of uh, other personalities that are sharing news and information, then they can give you the heads up. And you know, recently there was Marvel and DC recently released their first set of comics. So official Marvel and DC um, licensed comics. Uh, WWE released... Their, their first NFTs, it was an Undertaker NFT. So you, you read about these because they announced it. And if you're keeping up with NFT news, you will know who are announcing what games and projects and all this sort of stuff. And then you have about 20 or 30 days to dive deep and see if you want to invest and you can invest. I don't, you know, it's not that important to invest on launch day, in my opinion, because what happens is these companies and projects, they, they haven't built much. So they launch based on hype. And then there's a two to three month discovery period where most of the time people sell their NFTs at cheaper than launch price. So there's still a long time. So for example, even CryptoPunks, right? CryptoPunks were between $50 to $300 for three years. For three years, they traded at $300. And the fourth year, they, they boomed. And now they're selling for half a million dollars each. 
So there's, there's time to do some research. And sometimes you can get in to a brand new NFT launch if you are, feel really strongly about it. But even if you miss it, to me personally, I miss so many of them and I'm fine with that. I usually go in when there's more, valid, there's more data to tell me that it's doing well. So you prefer to kind of be a little bit later stage when you see traction around the community and Absolutely. The, you know, buyers are coming into the marketplace. Yeah, well, if I have a long-term thesis that this this project that I'm investing in will do great three years down the line, then I don't mind paying double the price. I don't mind spending $200 on what something could have been $100, right? If I think it's going to go to $10,000. And that way, at least I avoid the multiple ones that turn to crap. <laughs> and it's, it's more risk uh, management. Yeah, That's good. And so what is, I, you know, from an investor standpoint, what is required for them to participate uh, to be able to purchase these NFTs on the marketplace? Got a mosquito in my, <laughs> in my ear. What's required to purchase them is a MetaMask wallet, which may not uh, sound like something familiar at all, but it's basically a digital wallet that holds um, or allows you to access your cryptocurrency. And then when you go to OpenSea, OpenSea can read that you know your MetaMask wallet is connected to OpenSea and Maddie has two Ethereum or three Ethereum. And suddenly with that Ethereum, I can purchase any NFT that I see on that screen or I can sell. So I can list it, but having that MetaMask wallet uh, allows me to participate on blockchain enable, enabled websites, basically. I feel like a lot of this market, we're, you know, we're going to be in continuous price discovery as we move forward because there's a lack of historical data. So you know, one of the questions always asked is, how do we determine a project's value? And kind of what are some benchmarks maybe you use to make a decision when jumping in? Um, mine is definitely gut feeling. It's part of it, just being part of much of the space for three to four years. But if you're talking about numbers and metrics and we want to have a more strategic approach, then um, the economy has to make sense in the sense of if someone's releasing a million NFTs at $100 a piece, then they're looking to raise $100 million. And you would think that there wouldn't be an active secondary market because it doesn't seem like one, they'd raise that much. And even if they did, they'd be, it doesn't look like they'd sustain more people coming in and purchasing it. That would increase the price. Now, if you see a great project that are releasing you know, 10,000 avatars for $50 a piece, and you see that, okay, wait, okay, that, that means that they're trying to raise $500,000, but these guys are a great project, which means that if you get into them, then, they, then at $500,000 or 10,000 avatars, I'm sure that many people will miss out, then you will be able to sell them uh, at a higher price when that new traffic comes in. Um, also, I analyze the game and the, the founder. So if the founder is quite active on Twitter and they have an experience in building a great game um, and they release some NFTs and, and they seem active in showing development, then I would buy some and keep them and just wait till the game matures. It's hard to benchmark these things, especially art. Art is quite subjective. Uh, games are quite subjective. Um, but recent sales, I guess you can benchmark or, or kind of look at recent sales. So each, each project has a list of recent sales and you can see, okay, these people are spending you know, 5,000 mana for lands that are close to roads. So anything that's connected to a road, it looks like 5,000 mana is the average. So maybe you can find someone on Discord and negotiate with them and try and offer a bulk purchase at 3,000 mana a piece. That way you know and you bought them at under market value. Um, and you can also see how many sales are happening a day. So if only one sale is happening a day and you've taken a 100 land position and you want to sell them, it's quite difficult to offload that, right? Because there's very little liquidity. So there's multiple, multiple things I can get into. But uh, recent sales are definitely a big one. Do you see this uh, space maturing into uh, some tools that will kind of have some suggested valuations? There will be, for sure, for sure. Um, I think it's just quite difficult because there's so much variance of because of the non-fungible nature. You know, there's hundreds of variations within the, the, the one game to give a benchmark to uh, certain things. But I think in time, what we've noticed, and I've looked at graphs, and, and now you can see line graphs and bar charts and all sorts of things, and you can see a continuous pattern. Uh, you can see correlations between some projects doing well and that drip feeding into another project because it's a similar project. But one of the biggest thing I look at is uh, industries or projects that have lasted more than two years. That way, 
they've somehow been able to gather and grow their community. The prices of the NFTs have continued to grow. So that sort of a trajectory seems like a long-term trajectory for me. And that's why I personally also don't get involved in the quick ones and the new ones, because it's a risk. Uh, maybe it'll do well, maybe it won't. Uh, wait for it to last two years, that's fine. But if it's going to last 10 years, then two years isn't that late, right? You know, can we expand on what are all the different benefits that we're seeing in the uh, marketplace for holding these NFTs within those communities? The benefits, I think the biggest one is the financial gain. So uh, just because the nature of the space is that you can trade these assets for millions of dollars trustlessly between an anonymous person over the internet with a click of a button. And there is an interest to do that. So people can buy a $3,000 NFT today. And we've seen this with some art pieces and then sell them for $3 million a month later or two months later, right? I think that financial uh, thing just makes it so appealing for people to be part of. But there's, there's many benefits. So some, sometimes you hold a great game item and if you're playing the game, then it's a scarce item that gives you more boosts or more powers than a different game. Or it allows you to earn more. So for example, in the case of Axie Infinity, uh, there's this pet game where you can verse your three pets against another, another three pets. Sounds pretty lame, but uh, it generates it generates between 20 to 50 US dollars a day uh, in cryptocurrency for the players. So you can imagine in the Philippines, in the Philippines, in India, and in some countries, that's, that's life-changing money, right? So you hold them, you play them, you generate cryptocurrency, you can feed a family, you can pay off your house in some of these countries. So that's one of the reasons there. But people are playing with all sorts of models to, to do things with NFTs. Recently, uh, last year sometime, the, there was a DJ called Justin Blau who released um, art NFTs. And if you own his NFTs, then you have access to his virtual club in his virtual land. And in that club, uh, he plays unreleased music. So suddenly, uh, you know, if you're a fan of him or if you're a fan of The Weeknd or a, a rock band or something, then you can engage with them in a virtual way. If you have their NFTs, kind of like an access thing. In the case of Gary V, uh, Gary V has this thing called V Friends, where if you have different sort of NFTs, you can do different things with him. You can go bowling with him. Uh, you can get mentored by him one hour, once a month, or once a, a fortnight or something. Um, he sends you gifts if you have a certain other NFT. So it's a different way to access his personality if you're into uh, you know, him as a, as a person and want a, a more personal connection than just seeing him on YouTube. There's all sorts of things that you can do with NFTs. You can build stuff in virtual land, play games, and you know, it's... There's many, many things I can get into. So do but, you think, uh, well, do you think all those additional offerings, you know, access, et cetera, is ultimately what will help hold a, a community's artwork or NFTs value yeah. much greater than those that don't provide any yeah. other value? You know, I used to think that, um, but uh, there are definitely some pieces and uh, NFTs that go up just because historically they keep getting more and more significant over time based on who created it. Uh, based on the timeline, maybe it was a 2017 mint, which is starting to see being seen as a year where uh, it was kind of like the Renaissance and everyone was kind of experimenting with NFTs. Uh, in many cases, yes, utility. I think the cool thing is you can stack utility to the single NFT. That same NFT can open a door to a club, be an art piece. It can be a game item in another game. It could be it could unlock a video course database. It could do many, many things as long as we keep building functionality to the person that owns that NFT. So yes, I have seen. Um, people keep providing value to the NFTs and due to that, it's going up in value immensely. You know, there's been, I guess in the crypto space in general, there's been a lot of talk, you know, around regulations. Is there anything from an investor standpoint when it comes to NFTs that we need to be worried about? Um, I think you would just because it's a new space. I don't know anything specifics because um, I'm not very, in, I don't know about that space quite well, but actually because it's an unregulated space, there's money flying everywhere. I'm sure at some stage, there's going to be something that comes in that will put the industry back a little bit. But uh, it's hard because the crypto industry is starting to get regulated now in some most of the main countries. I would say that it's going to be baffled and confused about NFTs for a very long time to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's good. So, I mean, going back onto the communities, uh, you know, where do investors go to find out information? I guess let's, let's talk about like Discord, right? I mean, how do they mm-hmm. approach that? There's many channels. There's a lot of noise. How do you personally mm-hmm. filter through all that and find the mm-hmm. best? Um, I've been in the space for three to four years. So I've been able to make some good friends, some communities. I've got my real life friends into it. They bring me some news. They're like, hey, Maddie, guess who's releasing an NFT? You know, Marvel's releasing an NFT today. Um, I find it quite difficult to keep up with news. So I have a friend who posts in our Discord. He just posts links to NFT news, everything that's coming up that's popped up in his radar. But I think, um, you know, this industry demands time and respect. Like it is, it is a huge, a huge, huge industry. If you really want to learn, then you will learn. I think plugging yourself into Twitter personalities or people that seem to share information or YouTube people that are covering the space and keeping in the know of things regularly. You know, you watch someone, like I do a YouTube live stream every single day for an hour covering the news that's come up. So people tune in, there's about 150 to 300 people that tune in every single day at 7 p.m. EST. And I go through all the five to six different pieces that came up of news over the last 24 hours. Um, we talk about some investments that did well for people. The community brings up whatever they, they talked about or came up with them. And I learn a lot from the community sharing what they've come up with. So that's my way of learning. Um, if you want to learn, I'll definitely say plug into different YouTube channels, Twitter, uh, read the news. There's no one single site. The space is too small still and too, um, it's not mature enough for there to be a single website that just provides news. I wish there was, but there isn't. Maybe I'll make one. But uh, at this point, it's kind of like sporadic news all over the place. So after you made a purchase, uh, you, you did all your due diligence, you made a purchase, you know, in managing your portfolio of NFTs, right? This is something that's always discussed is, how do you determine what you're holding, how long, what multiple, and kind of deciding your own personal game plan, right? Because there's been obviously some people I sell at a double, triple, and it goes up 100. And then there's ones that go up 100 and drop down 90%, right? So what is your plan? Um, my plan is just to be part of the space as a whole. And I have definitely sold things too early and it has hurt my soul because I <laughs> had that flip mentality where I'm like, oh, I bought it for $1,000. Let's quickly sell it for 10000 It's gone on to sell for a million. And I'm just like, oh, no. So what I've learned is there's some NFT industries which you just don't sell because in time they continue to appreciate. And art is one such industry. So I've learned to not sell fine or uh, single edition art pieces that I seem to have gotten that are quite well and the artist is doing quite well. Other things like virtual land or a game item, which you know the mechanics of the game might change to favor a different item. Um, and a collectible thing where you know maybe it's gone so expensive, right? Like CryptoPunks now are sitting at about half a million dollars each. It's harder for that to get to a million dollars now than it is for another project to get from you know a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars. So you know you look at that and you're like, well, do you want that sort of an upside? Should you cash out and put that into something else with a higher upside? It's, it, there's a lot of dynamics, you know, you got to see where it is in the life, in the life cycle. Sometimes you see a massive spike because there's a, there's a huge wave of interest. Is that sustainable? Um, is it just too much sporadic sales that are happening? Is the supply too much? Is the, is the founder going to release more NFTs that will dilute or saturate the market a little bit? So um, there's all these factors. And personally, um, I don't manage it as well as I can. I kind of just buy a bunch of stuff and then I look on my feed and it's like, oh, wow, it's sold for, <laughs> um, you know, like one similar one sold for fifty thousand dollars. So I'll, I'll put it back for sale, or maybe I'll hold on to it, thinking uh, maybe it'll go up for another reason. But uh, yeah, it's just I just spread my capital across multiple different industries, and one of the two of them shoot up. I I, I, I realize that those gains and put it across some other projects and keep doing that. So is that uh, I guess since you're doing that, you believe almost believe that a, a more spread out, broad exposure is what's going to give you better winners than maybe narrowing more down on just a handful of those Genesis rare items, then mm. just kind of hold them long term. I think at the start, it's better to be diversified. Uh, one, because it allows you to learn 
uh, about different industries because you're plugged in, you're financially plugged in. So, uh, you know, you are forced to learn about art because now you have an art piece. You're forced to learn about generative art because you spend $50 to buy something. You're forced to learn about the game and the game mechanics. And there's so many different things that if you just stick to one, you might miss, you know, yours might just not go up, right? It might just not be a big, big industry. Maybe another industry will, will, will take the spotlight. So I personally like to be diversified because sometimes a $1,000 investment can go to a $3 million. Um, so you never know which one can be a, a complete unicorn and you don't want to miss that. Do you roll any of your profits uh, just into new ones or also into more blue chip ones to hold long-term? And do you kind of set aside those blue chip ones and say, I'm going to hold these five or 10 years, no matter what the price? Mm, sometimes it depends on how much capital I have and how much liquidity I have. Um, but I am these days more leaning towards the blue chip ones because they're the ones that are really unique and investors and collectors one day will pay a lot of money for them. Like we've had these CryptoPunks that now have sold for 20 to $30 million for a single one, right? Um, so I definitely do. Sometimes it makes sense where I see a hype of a project and I'm like, oh, well, if I put my capital there, maybe I can two to three exit within a month or two and pull it out and maybe then go after some blue chip ones. So based on whatever the opportunity is, I have a, a set of, I guess, funds or a portion of the percentage of my funds that go across a different parts of that. I will give us your number one most regretful sale. <laughs> oh, there definitely is one um there's an artist called ferocious that i found really really early and i got so fortunate and so lucky to buy four or three of his paintings for two thousand dollars each right uh the moment i bought it and announced it on my twitter basically all of crypto youtube picked it up and started talking about nft art and how it's the next big thing with ferocious's face on the front of the youtube thumbnails and that was great i was like wow this is amazing he's blowing up doing really, really well. And I put one for sale for 35,000 US dollars and that sold. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a stupid move, Maddie. Let's not do that again. So I, <laughs> what I didn't realize, what I didn't realize is I had a second one that I had listed for sale for $100,000 and I completely forgot about it. And um, I remember there's a sale that happened for half a million and I was like, oh, great. I still have three NFTs. But someone found that one and bought it for 100,000 when you know the recent sale was 500,000. So it was a bittersweet moment that I, I lost two of these. And I, and I realized then that the collector in me really wants to hold on to certain pieces. And art, art is one of those things that you just don't sell because if you truly believe in the artist, then these are what we're finding now. What's happening now is the, you know, the, this generation is the digital ages, Picasso's and Leonardo da Vinci's are doing their thing. And you may have one of those because it's, it's a reset, right? This 2017, 2018 is a complete reset of the, the real world and the digital world uh, with assets and ownership. So definitely my most regretful sale. So how about for a security standpoint, maybe what are a few things that people that are coming onto the market should be aware of? Uh, you know, what are some best practices? Um, I would say to get involved in things that you genuinely like. Um, there's a lot of hype in the air. If you go onto Twitter and you go and read the news, you see some people buying rocks for a million dollars. Like, oh shit, you know, I need to find this rock and buy it. But uh, you're going to get the industry swinging you all sorts of directions. But if you find something, whether it be a game or a community that you genuinely like and you're getting involved due to those reasons, uh, even art, right? Uh, what you appreciate, other people will appreciate. And it usually has that that feeling is usually an indicator of a long-term sustainable investment. I would say that, I would say, make sure you keep your passphrase quite safe, obviously, with your MetaMask or your, your cryptocurrency wallet. Because if anyone has that across the world, then you can swipe everything you have in your wallet, whether it be $1, $1 or a billion dollars. So keep that extremely safe. Uh, do not click on any dodgy links. When you search Google, make sure you're not clicking on any ads. You're clicking on uh, something that's organically being there. Uh, join a community. 
do not fall for anyone that messaging you saying you can, you can get you an extremely good deal and it's too good to be true. If it's too good to be true, it's probably bullcrap in the crypto world. <laughs> uh, be extremely vigilant with anything and everything you see, but be experimental in the sense of if you see an NFT that's selling for $50, $50 and it looks completely stupid, but others seem to be doing it and there's some validity there because it keeps sitting on your, it keeps appearing on your radar for two years or you know six months or something, then give it a shot. Maybe you don't understand it now, but you might when you do, if there's if it's only going to cost you a couple hundred dollars to learn, why not? So there's a, there's a balance between experimentation and definitely keeping safe. Is there any few projects that are you know coming out in the next few weeks that are worth looking at that you are mm-hmm. think are interesting? Uh, there's a few that I've invested recently that I think might do well. Uh, there's one called Treeverse, uh, and Treeverse is kind of this virtual world that they're building. It's very simple. It's a 2D world. Uh, similar to RuneScape or Habit Hotel. I'm not sure if you've come across those sort of games. But uh, it's really simple. But, you know, people like simple stuff and you can jump in there and talk to people and everyone's going crazy about it. I can see people sharing and liking it. And I think the founder sold his lands for uh, 0.125 Ethereum at the start. Now they're sitting at 0.8 uh, Ethereum. It's been a few months or a couple of months. And I think they'll go on to do one, two, three Ethereum maybe because as, as, much, as long as he continuously brings in people. So that's called Treeverse. There's another one that launched called, it's one called Boss Logic. So Boss Logic is an artist who has done the art for um, DC, Marvel, and a bunch of different like uh, hero movies. And he released a, he's got like 2.2, 2.2, 2.3 million followers on Instagram. You know, he's quite a popular digital, digital artist. He's released a project called Gauntlets, Crypto Gauntlets, or just Gauntlets where you can own these uh, gauntlets that give you access to the stuff that he's building. So it allows you to plug into his success. If he goes on to build great things with DC and stuff, then you can use that gauntlet in whatever they have. That's, I think that's the 0.5 Ethereum, the cheapest one at the moment. Um, if you really want to go deep, Curio Cards. So Curio Cards are a project that are before CryptoPunks. So for three years, people believed that CryptoPunks were the first NFTs on Ethereum. Um, it's recently being found out that that's not the case. That there's multiple projects that exist on blockchain previous to CryptoPunks. Curio Cards is one of them, and the cheapest one is like one Ethereum to get one. There's tens of thousands of those, and those are slowly going up. There was 0.1 Ethereum about three weeks ago. Um, there's rare Pepe's that exist on the on the Bitcoin chain, which people are realizing, wait a second, Bitcoin had this whole crypto NFT thing before Ethereum did. So now people are running to the Bitcoin chain to collect um, some rare Pepe's. <laughs> That's crazy. So it, it, all kind of stuff is happening, man. All right. And let's uh, let's last go into, I know you uh, have a project. I think you guys uh, manage yourself called the Medic, Medic Key, correct? Mm-hmm. And what are you guys doing there? Yeah, so we um, founded a project called the MetaKey. And the MetaKey is this NFT that you can own, which will do hundreds and hundreds of different things in the real and the digital world one day. So you can take it to um, a game in Decentraland, and it'll turn into a sword. You take it to another game, it turns into a shield, it turns into a pet. Uh, you can take it to my website, and it unlocks a, a database of courses. You take it to CryptoArtPulse.com, which is a data website, and you can, you can, you can, you can um, display a banner for a certain day. So it's kind of like a, it plugs into advertising. So we're working to just add multiple use cases of things you can actually do with your NFT on like a, a complete crazy scale. It's like, you know, instead of buying a course for $300, why not buy an NFT token that gives you not only the course, but hundreds of courses and also turn into game items. And also in the real world may turn into a pass that allows you into some menu or something. So we're, we're kind of making a, a VIP access ticket perk card on hyperscale and, and playing around with what the limits are with blockchain and NFTs which seems to be quite limitless. So we're selling those. The che- we sold them as 0.2 Ethereum about five months ago. Now the cheapest one is about three Ethereum. And the most expensive one is about 10 Ethereum, which, you know, boggles my mind. Um, <laughs> but we're releasing another 5,000 at 0.2 Ethereum in about three weeks. So Now, every time, that, every time the NFT trades, is there some portion of that that goes back to Medicaid? Absolutely, yeah. So we get 2.5% royalties on the secondary market. Is that what's that incentivizes us? 
Uh, well, we fund ourselves through that for sure. We actually initially funded ourselves by the sale of the Medikeys. But if you keep, if you keep selling Medikeys, what happens is you dilute other people's investment. So you have to have enough of a value proposition to justify and for there to be enough demand for the next set. But the secondary market allows us to not really care too much about the primary sales because as much as we keep providing value to our user base, on the secondary market, as long as it's on fire and people are trading these at tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars one day, they're making 2.5% on every single sale, right? So it incentivizes us to keep working our butt off to make sure that everyone's happy and the value of that increases. And how do you continuously work with the community there to increase social awareness? I have an in-house team that's really good at social. I take social really, really um, seriously. I think it's a big, a big thing if you want to bring in traffic to your business. So I have a YouTube channel with like, 15 to 16,000 YouTube subscribers. I have about uh, 80,000 people on Twitter. So I'm always sharing stuff. I'm doing a daily show. I'm always talking about the medic and bringing people's attention to it and showing that we're doing things. So that, and then we have a Discord that we have, you know, 7,000 members now. So we keep keeping them engaged and we keep talking about NFT strategy and it's, it's kind of become a learning hub for anyone that wants to learn NFTs. Um, and you have access to certain parts of that Discord if you have the MediKey. So for example, you even have access to my wallet. So my digital wallet, every time I purchase something, it feeds into that Discord and it pings that Discord and it shows people what I'm buying. And so when I buy something, I'm like, hey, guys, I bought this because of this reason. Do your own research. This is just my mindset as to why I'm buying. So just like providing little things like that where you own the MediKey, you can get access to information, education, games, perks, blah, 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 all sorts of things. Now, as you're building that out, is it a lot of trial and error too? Like kind of seeing what works, what people are adopting and, and bringing on new products? Absolutely, right? So we initially thought people would love airdrops. Uh, in the sense of we can we just keep airdropping them, you know, these wearable NFTs that they can go use in Decentraland, all these other things. But we're experimenting with that. We're exper experimenting with maybe what, maybe we make a Shopify app, which allows Shopify owners to implement a MediKey discount for their store. So they just download the app, they say 10% off. And now suddenly if you have a MediKey, then you can go to that store and spend your money there with a 10% discount. We're going to experiment with that. We're experimenting with education. We've got the Shark Tank building in Decentraland, which is a virtual space you can go into and people pitch, people from the community pitch our ideas and we fund it. You know, we spend $500 in helping someone maybe build a website for it or something. So we're experimenting with different points of value for the community. What do people like? What do they enjoy? And we're going to definitely hone in onto one. Maybe they're just like, maybe they just like game integration. Maybe suddenly become a company that's 80-20 rule focused on game integrations um, with the MediKey. So we're five months old. And maybe in a year, once we have enough data, we'll, we'll go real hard into an industry. But right now, definitely quite experimental. I mean, we've seen uh, some of the major corporations kind of participate a little bit in the space recently. I think uh, we've seen a Budweiser, uh, Visa, certain things happening. Do you think that all these large companies are going to end up doing something similar to like MediKey, but internally to just mm -hmm. continuously attract their community? Yeah, yeah. So NFTs, in my opinion, are a ticket to access that brand or that company's uh, benefits for life, right? They're, they're not an art piece, they're a ticket. Um, so whether it be Visa selling their cards as NFTs or whether it be WWE or, or, or um, The Weeknd, right? The Weeknd, the musician sold thousands of NFTs as art pieces. And maybe he'll one day say, hey guys, if you own that NFT, then you get free access to my next real world concert. So it's, you know, forever, for whatever that artist or that brand or whatever they do, it's kind of a value point. You know who owns those NFTs, you can always announce them, they, they can always use that NFT in your digital platforms. So I, I think they will at some point absolutely do that. In fact, the key was kind of built so that people the industry kind of started to do that. I wanted to inspire that activity apart from just like dropping art and not doing anything with it. So how do you see maybe some of the, uh, I don't know if I want to say the final infrastructure, but infrastructure in the future, like will you have lots of wallets that hold these different things or will you have one wallet that holds all of them and so where, wherever you use it, they know all your information? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you do for best practices? Do you just let the public know everything you own or do you kind of keep mm -hmm. some things separately? It depends. Like definitely there's some sensitive stuff that I go on purchasing that I don't want people to know about. Um, well, sometimes I'll keep it in the same wallet or, uh, 
for security reasons, I keep it on multiple wallets. But, you know, I think one big play with NFTs or blockchain in general is ID, ID and identification. Now, people don't like to be ID'd. That's fine. But uh, maybe one day, you know, Visa can see that you're spending a lot of money in Big W or um, Walmart. And based on that, they can, without your permission, they don't need it. They can just airdrop you Visa points. So maybe it'll be a signaling tool, the blockchain as a whole, or NFTs. But uh, NFTs seem to be this thing that adds culture to these projects. Uh, Visa purchasing a CryptoPunk, suddenly they're in, right? They're hip. They understand the culture. They've bought something which to them and the world has become rare in the crypto space. So it's kind of like switching on the culture switch and getting uh, integrated or signaling to the, the traditional and crypto world that, you know, you are serious about the space. Well, I appreciate all, sharing all that. We always leave off with a final question. And what is the biggest thing you have implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Ooh, uh, okay. I would say focusing on my brand. So focusing on my Twitter and my socials and my YouTube and being quite consistent with it. Uh, in the past, I have stopped working on you know, websites and things because I've given it three months and just given up or I've given it a year or two and given up. But this industry, uh, I have been interested in it for three years or four years. And because of that, I've continued to grow and it paid dividends, right? I had 15,000 Twitter followers at the time when people like Gary Vee were coming into the space and they were looking around to see who was in the know. And suddenly they somehow came across my profile, contacted me, talked to me. And that sort of network leverage I have now being seen as someone that knows about NFTs brings a lot of deal flow and a lot of opportunities my way. So definitely a social presence and taking that quite seriously. How do you maybe manage some of the uh, noise that may come across your feed or the comments that you may not like? There's just too many these days that I can't help but ignore them. If they're critical <laughs> and, uh, if they're critical and um, you know, there's something that I should take and implement, I'll take it. Uh, back in the day, I would you know, answer everyone's comments, but right now, you know, I've got a six-week-old baby. I've got a venture fund I'm announcing next month. I run the Medicaid with five or six employees. I have my personal investments. You know, visit my family. I really don't have the time to answer, you know, 10 to 15 <laughs> comments of negativity a day. That's a big, so, it, it still hits hard, but, uh, you know, just ignore it. That's good. So ignore the haters, uh, focus on your authority and building out your social channels and staying focused. <laughs> and that leads to your success. Mm -hmm. uh, if any of our listeners would like to know more about the Medicaid, contact you, what is the best way to do that? Uh, DCL blogger on my YouTube or my Twitter. So DCL blogger, both of them are fine. On Twitter, you can DM me directly if you, if you want to talk to me. I'm there and quite available. All right, Maddie, I appreciate coming out on the episode today. Awesome. Thanks, man. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show.